0: reason why we're here this morning, the story that brings us together. It's from the Gospel of John chapter 20 verses 1 through 18 and it's on page 741 in the Bible that's there in the pew. Let's hear this word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept... She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said, all these things that he had said to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus was dead. They were there when they crucified my Lord They saw it happen. Jesus died, not from wounds of being nailed to the cross, but by slow asphyxiation as he struggled to lift his beaten body to breathe. Finally, he breathed his last and died. The Roman soldiers didn't need to break his legs to ensure he died. Jesus was dead. They pierced his side and congealed blood provided the verification they needed. Jesus was dead. His body was taken down from the cross, properly cleaned, wrapped in linens and spices, and placed in a new tomb cut from rock. Jesus was in the grave. That's what those who were there on Friday knew When they came back on Sunday, that's what those who stuck around long enough saw as the stone was rolled in front of the tomb. Jesus was dead and buried. When Mary Magdalene first arrives, she does not come expecting resurrection. Mary, one of the last to leave Jesus as he died, comes to grieve and mourn. The cross Jesus hung upon is still perched outside of the city, visible against the morning horizon as she walks to the garden. Its message intended to communicate this is the way things are. This is the way things will always be. Pontius Pilate, who had signed Jesus' death order, positions guards before Christ's tomb. An exercise as much about extra security as it was to enforce Rome's perceived authority over life and death. No one was expecting resurrection. All the gospel writers agree on this. Each of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell different parts of the story. No single telling could ever be enough, so their details differ. They describe different participants, sometimes diverging experiences, but all four Gospels are utterly consistent on this point. Nobody was anticipating resurrection. They also completely agree on something else, something surprising that first Mary and then later Peter and John confirmed. The body was not in the tomb. The soldiers were were not at their posts. The massive stone had been rolled away. The grave clothes remained, but the body of Jesus was not to be found. Initially, no one understood what happened. Everyone just squinted into the early morning haze mixed with the darkness of a tomb that was empty and scratched their heads. Fear, not faith, was the first response to an empty tomb. But then Jesus showed up, again first to Mary and then later to the disciples. Jesus appeared not as a ghost or a vision, but in the flesh with the scars from the nails in his hands and the Roman spear in his side to prove it. Jesus came back, resurrected, and breathed faith upon those who believed in him, faith in forgiveness and everlasting life that could be found in him. We all know this story. That's why most of us are here. Most of us are here because we believe this story. That's why some of us aren't just attending this morning. We're celebrating. We're worshiping. But the real question is, are any of us living this story? That's the question. That's the invitation and challenge of Easter, of the resurrection. Living it. We just thought we had to believe it. To believe that Jesus died for our sins, to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we just have to ask Jesus in our heart and believe in what he did, and we're good to go, right? Our personal slate, our private ledger is wiped clean. Our eternal life insurance policy has been paid in full, and we can rest easy knowing we've got a heavenly ticket to ride. Can I get an amen? (coughs) Amen. The funny thing is, if we listen carefully to the one we say we believe in, Jesus, he doesn't tell us just to believe. Jesus doesn't come back from the dead to his disciples and ask, do you believe who I am? Do you believe what I've done for you? Have you asked me into your heart? Is that a yes to all my questions? Okay, peace out. See you later. I'll meet you at the pearly gates when your number is up. Just say you're with me and I'll make sure you get in. I'll save you a seat in the afterlife. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Search the scriptures. All of them. Read all those red letter sections carefully. Don't just cherry pick a verse here or there and try to make the Bible or Jesus say what you want him to say. Because the thing is, Jesus... In the way he lives before he goes to the cross, Jesus in the manner he faces the cross, and Jesus after he comes back from death on the cross says the same thing. Follow me. Don't just believe in me. Don't just believe in my resurrection. Die to yourself and live my resurrection. Live my resurrection by letting me live in you. Go and share what you have received from me. Live my resurrection. Let me live in you by loving others the way I have loved you. And so as we gather this morning on Easter Sunday, the first thing we may have to realize is what we believe may be more wrong than it is right. My friends, if the extent of the good news that gathers us together this morning only goes so far as the forgiveness of my sins, as the assurance of my life after death, then we have not only merely skimmed the surface of the gospel, the part of the gospel that we have heard, we have terribly and dangerously skewed. What changes today, what we celebrate today, because Jesus lives and death is defeated, is so much more than some palsy-wowsy me and Jesus affair. So much more than the canceling of my individual debts, the washing away of my mistakes, the wrongs I've done. It's so much more than a heavenly death insurance policy that we can just wait to cash in on some future date. Let me be clear, so there can be no misunderstanding. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no less than the forgiveness of human sin and the offer of everlasting life. The gospel is no less than this, but it is so much more. So much more than we tell ourselves. So much more than what we've settled for. John, one of the first disciples and the writer of this account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, testifies to the much larger scope and canvas of the gospel when he declares in the most famous verse, which even those who are not Jesus followers recognize, for God so loved not the individual, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Christianity isn't a private religion. Christianity isn't some mere narcissistic transaction between God and Christ with you or me or him or her alone. The gospel is the very public declaration of the reign of God, of the relationship our creator seeks and pursues with all creation, a relationship God secures by coming down in Christ and giving his life for it. And the reality of Jesus' resurrection is not just a win for me, myself, and I. It is victory with earthly and cosmic implications that offer the potential not just to change your life or my life or our life, but to radically transform every life to make all creation new. The eternal life that Jesus offers us thanks to his resurrection from the dead is not, as we so often render it, life after death. It is life beyond death. It is life beyond the shadow of death that so often eclipses our vision. It is life beyond the fear of death that constantly limits how far we are willing to reach and to go. It is life beyond the sting of death which can lead us to conceive this life is all we have. We've got one life to live and that's it. It's life, eternal life, that's not just after death but beyond death, everlasting life. That can begin now, today. The extent of what gathers us here together. The good news that brings us together today is not what will happen by and by some pie in the sky, far off in some endless future. The gospel we celebrate today is the good news of the God who comes down in Jesus Christ to give his life for ours, who dies and comes back from the dead in order to lead us beyond death into the life we were created for, the only life we were always meant to live. A life where we thrive together rather than at the expense of each other. A life where we live out of a commitment to love rather than being enslaved by fear. A life where truth isn't whatever we want to make it to be, but truth is a common reliance that what is true is whatever reflects the character and will of our Creator. It's a life where there is a shared commitment to unity even in the midst of diversity one of mutual respect, grace and forgiveness in the thick and thin of living together in this big, beautiful, broken, but being redeemed world. Is this the good news we understand this morning? Is this the gospel we are living today? If not, the reason may be, despite what we tell ourselves, we don't really believe it. Somewhere along the way, I don't know when it happened, somewhere along the way, we as the church reduced embracing the gospel down to a single yes or no question. Do you believe? But given what the gospel proclaims, given what scripture declares so magnificently, so beautifully, given what I've just tried to share with you, given this deeper and wider gospel, The second thing we have to realize today is there is more to belief. There is more to believing in the good news. There is more to believing in Christ than just a single verbal yes or no answer. Belief is more than intellectual assent, an affirming nod of the head. It is even more than a conviction of the heart. Beloved, true belief is inseparable from action. In other words, what we actually believe is how we honestly live. To say I believe means I will give my life to it. To say I believe means I will align my life with it. To say I believe is to say I will make whatever I believe real and present in my life and in this world. And through the work of the cross and the victory of the resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us faith. Something, someone to believe in. Faith calls for belief. And our belief born of faith is revealed in who or what we follow. We can say all we want to ourselves and to each other. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in Jesus Christ. But if all we are doing is giving intellectual assent to these statements, if the sum total of our movement in response to these declarations of faith is a warm fluttering of our hearts, then what we claim to believe is a lie. What we claim to believe is a lie, not because it isn't true, not because it isn't real. It's a lie for us because it isn't truly and really being lived by us. My friends, to believe in Jesus, to believe Jesus lives, is to live as Jesus lives. It's to live out of his resurrection. It's to follow him by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's to think like Christ. It's to speak like Christ. It's to act like Christ. And so it's time to ask ourselves not if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, It's time to ask ourselves if we believe we need the resurrection of Jesus. Because here it is. As long as we do everything in our power to deny death our dust-to-dust mortality, as long as we try to ignore death, cheat death, fight death, run and hide from death, so long as we steer clear of anything that reminds us that all is not well with us or with this world in which we live, we won't believe we need the resurrection of Jesus. As long as we keep working so hard to keep ourselves too comfortable to care, Perfectly content to amuse ourselves in our ivory towers, pulling the shade on anything that might disturb us, remind us of our privilege over and against another's disadvantage, we won't believe we need the resurrection of Jesus. As long as we persist in self-rationalizing our conscious ignorance intentionally steering clear of the front lines, always maintaining a self di- safe distance, choosing to keep ourselves out of the action, preferring to be spectators rather than participants in God's reclamation and healing of a redeemed creation, a world in the process of being resurrected, a world that is groaning and longing to be reborn and made new. We won't believe we need the resurrection of Jesus. It is only, only, only when we dare to have eyes to see and a heart willing to be broken before all the corporate evidence of human misery, human-generated injustice, human-generated affliction, that we will hunger for the resurrection of Jesus. It is only, only when we allow ourselves to care and to become convinced that all the violence and suffering that seemingly flows to the ends of the earth is not the way things are supposed to be, is not the way they were created to be, is not the way they ultimately can be, then and only then will we thirst for the resurrection of Jesus. It is only, only as we confess we are not removed from the pain and problems of this world, that we are complicit in the brokenness of creation, both in what we have done and in what we have left undone. It is only when we confess that we cannot fix or save ourselves, let alone anyone else, then and only then will we realize our need for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will realize our need for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just for ourselves, but for all creatures, for all time. Is there any of us still sitting here who doubt the one we need? Who still resist believing and therefore living out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I suspect there are. Because while I know we have some people who are visiting us today, there are some people I know that are not here because they want to be. You're here because your family made you come you're here because if you want to get eggs and candy and ham you come to church i'm just keeping it real you're here because well it's easter okay i'll show up and you're here and maybe you've never been to church before never had wanted to do have anything to do it never did have anything to do it or maybe you're here because you've been you've been burned ain't been back I know I'm speaking to at least one person today, and I suspect it's more than one person. But if that's you, if you're sitting here struggling, living the resurrection, I don't even know if I think any of this is true. I don't even know if I believe that Jesus was real or was resurrected. Then I'm talking to you right now. And I'm asking you to to consider this What if? What if the gospel you've been hearing about Jesus is more than you've been told? What if it's more than the personal assurance of an afterlife that is disconnected from each person's connection and responsibility to these circles of community that we share in this life? What if the good news you've seen reflected by the church a church that is just as much a work in progress as you are, that is just as much in need of grace as we all are, and forgiveness, what if the good news you've seen reflected by the church is more than allowing the resurrection of Jesus Christ to give us cause for hope later, even as it excuses Christians from a call to action now? What if the resurrection of Jesus you're struggling to believe is more than something that can be proved definitively? What if it's something that will not submit to the standards and limits of our human rationality? What if human reason, what we can see, analyze, explain, our ability to understand is not the sole arbiter of truth? What if there are more things in heaven and on earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy? What if? The truth that is Jesus, the truth of Christ's resurrection awakens possibilities not confined to our human understanding. What if there is a new way of seeing and believing, extended by the God who is beyond reason? What if there will be a new heaven and a new earth? What if there can be a new start, a new direction, a new future? What if there is a new way to be human through God in Christ who comes down to face the inevitability of our death and at the same time to make real the impossibility of our resurrection? What if? The birth of new life that breaks through all human understanding changes not only what it means to die, but what it means to live, not tomorrow, not eventually, but today. What if? Are you willing to receive that faith? Are you willing to embrace the promise of this good news that is being extended to you in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to entrust yourself to the loving audacity of the God who generates life from death, who has the gracious tenacity to purpose to wipe away every tear, to right every wrong, to restore all that's been lost, to reconcile everything that's been broken? What if? What have you got to lose? And what could the world possibly gain if you didn't just believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ but actually lived it? Lived out of Jesus' radical act of conclusion, inclusion. Lived out of Christ's defiant stance of resistance against any person or power where life is threatened, demeaned, violated, or cast down. What if you lived like that? What if we all lived like that? What if we didn't just believe in the resurrection? What if we lived the resurrection? How would you be changed? How would we be transformed? How would this world be different? My friends, we can run away and hide from death. (laughs) We can fight back against death all we want. But we're no match for death. But we gather here today, we celebrate, we worship because Jesus is more than a match for death. The resurrection of Christ declares once and for all the love of Christ is greater than death. Yes, the sting of death is sin. Yes, we grow tired and weak. Yes, we stand powerless and empty before the shadow of death that looms over us the very moment we're born into this fallen world. But the resurrected love of Christ relieves the sting of all of this by offering us forgiveness. The resurrected love of Christ lifts us up and renews our strength so that we can run and not grow weary, so that we can walk and not be faint, so that we can soar on wings like eagles, not just when death comes knocking at our door, but so that we can flourish here and now in the life God intended us to live, not just tomorrow, but today. And when the grim reaper finally comes for us and stares us coldly in the face, we will not find ourselves powerless and empty. In Christ, each one of us can look death in the eye and say, you lose, Jesus wins, never say die, never say die. That's the rallying cry of a people who don't just believe in resurrection but who live out of the resurrection of Christ. Because beloved resurrection is more than a story we retell year after year about a man named Jesus who comes back from the dead. The resurrection is the gospel. It's the good news of the God who comes down in Jesus Christ to challenge the status quo and turn our understanding of what life is upside down and therefore what we live for upside down. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news that we can and we must live, not just by believing in Jesus, but by following Jesus with everything we have. To practice resurrection, to not just say, but live, never say die, is to cling to Jesus, to follow Christ, because Christ alone has the words of eternal life. Christ alone is the way and truth we have been looking for, because Christ alone in our body and soul is our refuge and strength, our very present help in times of our trouble and need. We cling to Jesus by following Jesus, and following Jesus is not about checking out. It's about diving in. By the grace of God, breaking the cycles of death that mark our lives, that mark our communities, that mark this world. My friends, death has had its day, and that day has come and gone. The tomb is empty. Jesus, once dead and buried, is risen. Jesus lives. His living presence is forever in this world, and therefore the dead not need stay dead. The worst does not have to be the last. The broken will not remain broken, and by the grace of God, the end is only the beginning. Thanks to Jesus, death is no longer the conclusion of our lives and therefore death need not be the substance of our lives. Therefore I say to you, to us all, in the name of Jesus, let us say, never say die.